Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. And we're starting a brand new series today called Save to Serve. Um, Have you ever seen someone misuse something and it frustrates you, or maybe they're not using it to its fullest potential. Um, Parents in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about because Christmas is coming up. And when your kids are really little, this is what Christmas looks like, right? You, You do all of your research as a parent to find the perfect gift, whatever the hot toy or the hot item is, or however, you know, whatever toy is most proven to stimulate brain growth or whatever it is, you know, all those things that you research as a parent and you buy that toy and then you make sure that it goes in the perfect box and then you wrap it just perfectly and you put it under the tree and you get really excited and on Christmas morning you wake your kid up if they're that little enjoy that part when you get to wake your kid up because that does not last long and when that's over it's over okay and so you wake your kid up and then you take them out and they start you know maybe they know how to unwrap maybe they don't know what it's all about but eventually they get the present unwrapped and they look at the toy and maybe they love the toy maybe they don't care about the toy but I know inevitably what is always going to happen after that what they're gonna play with the box the box that didn't cost anything, they're going to play with that. Not, not the toy that all the research went into, not the wrapping job. They're not going to appreciate that. They're going to play with the toy. And if you're a parent, you've had those moments, you're like, come on, that's not what this is for. Like, you're supposed to play with the toy that I bought you. It's frustrating to see that. And then sometimes we get that same feeling when we look at things that other people have that we don't have, and we feel like we would use them better than that person that has it. Oh, don't, don't act like you don't do this, all right? It's like, you know, when that person buys that, 70-inch HD 4K TV, you know, sitting in their living room, bigger than the wall that it's hanging on, you know, and all they do is watch Fixer Upper on that TV (laughs) 24-7. Everybody in this room knows that 4K high definition was made for football, not for shiplap. Can I get an amen? (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. It's like, man, that is not, you're missing it. You're missing it. You know, or maybe those of you in this room, you know, men, you have a nice full head of hair, you know, and you keep it short. For those of us that can't do that, you're missing it. Like, please just grow it all. I would Samson this if I could. Like, it would be, I mean, it would be all the way down to here if I could. I can't. I can't. You're missing it. Can I get an amen in the front row? Man, I'm telling you, I, I had this conversation with somebody in this church a couple weeks ago. They found out that I was a Dolphins fan. I try and keep that hidden from most people because it's embarrassing, but um, found out I was a Dolphins fan. And so they were talking about, they grew up in South Florida, and, and the, the guy was telling me, yeah, my dad used to do, he was a contractor. He did a lot of work for Don Shula, the Don Shula, the coach, right? And he said that after one of the jobs, he gave his dad a football autographed by the entire 1972 undefeated Dolphins team, right? Gave it to his dad, sat in a, in a room in, I think, their study, and I'm, I might be getting some of those details incorrect, but they had this ball, right? And he thought one day, this is, his, his dad had it, the son is telling me this story, and he said, I thought one day, you know, if, if a regular football is a lot of fun to play with, how much fun would it be to play with a football with all these autographs of all these famous people on it? And so they took it outside, they played with, and all the, all the signatures rubbed off. 
I will not lie to you, a part of me died that day. Like, I, I needed some counseling after that because there are these times when you look at things that people are using and they're not using it the way that you want them to or that you think they should or up to their potential and it's like, whoa, whoa you're missing the point. You're doing it wrong. You're not using it to be everything that it could be. And I just wonder, I just wonder if sometimes God looks at our lives as Christians, as Christ followers, the way that we're living and the way that we're using the gifts that he has given us. And I wonder if sometimes he just looks at us with that same question of that, that's not what it's for. That, that's not what being saved is all about. I wonder if sometimes he just looks at us and he says, you know, my son died and, and, he, and he paid the ultimate sacrifice so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be saved. And I didn't do it so that you could be comfortable. I didn't do it so that you could have a life of convenience or just all of these extra blessings. But I did it so that you could take the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that has been given to you and not keep it, but dispense it. Essentially, the point of salvation is to share it. And that's how we came up with this idea of saved to serve. The whole idea of us following Christ, accepting his forgiveness, is that we have been saved, we've been set apart for a greater reason than just to be comfortable. We have been saved so that we can serve. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship. Listen to this, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, God created us in Christ Jesus for good works. We are saved for the express purpose so that we can do good works. We are saved to serve. It is literally built into our DNA. We are created in the image of a God who serves us. We are created in the image of a God whose son Jesus, as he was here on this earth, modeled serving other people. When he has his 12 disciples around the table for the Last Supper, what does he do to model service? He washes their feet. Instead of lifting himself up above, he decides to demonstrate service. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. There have been literal scientific studies that have been done to prove that when we give, when we serve, when we do something without expecting anything in return, that there are physiological things that happen in our minds and in our bodies. They say that when you serve, that your self-esteem is increased. Your self-esteem increases. The symptoms of depression are decreased. Your feel-good hormones are released. And there's a whole lot of science that goes beyond that, but hormones like serotonin and endorphins and dopamine. Basically, you get a buzz from serving, right? And it's not the medical kind. It's, it's, no, too soon, too soon. <laughs> that was so much fun to get to watch that happen from the stage. It started here and it just started rippling back. Some of you, am I allowed to laugh at it? I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know what to do with my hands. Um, we are created in a way specifically to feel good when we serve because it's what we're created to do. We are saved to serve. It's what we're designed for. It's what we're made to do. So if that is the case, if that is the truth, then why is it that we try to get out of serving as often as we possibly can? Why is it that if God built into our DNA that we're supposed to serve other people, why are we constantly trying to make excuses for why we don't serve 
others. If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 10 in your Bible. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV version. It'll be on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 25. And the background on this is that Jesus is having this conversation that we're about to get into. And through this conversation, he tells this parable. A parable is a story with uh, a deep spiritual truth in kind of wrapped up in a story that everybody can understand, makes it relatable for everybody. Jesus used parables all the time to make these really heavenly principles uh, applicable and, and reachable for the common person to hear them, understand them, and apply them. And so he's about to tell this parable that's a really famous parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. We've all heard this. We know how the story ends. This is not a suspense thriller, okay? We know that the good guy at the end of the story, the hero, is, is not supposed to be the hero, right? We know that the guy that it would be least expected to do the right thing is the one that ends up doing the right thing, and the guys that are expected to do the right thing don't do the right thing. But I want to focus just for a couple seconds on what led Jesus to start telling this story in the first place? And so we pick this up in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and it says this, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. This is talking about Jesus. So a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, when we see lawyer, we think, uh, you know, trial lawyer. We think of somebody in a courtroom. Um, at this moment in history, being a Jewish man, he, him being a lawyer meant that he knew all of the laws. The laws were religion. The laws were the laws that were passed down uh, from generation to generation to generation. And so not only is he a very educated man, not only is he very smart, he's very religious in that he knows everything about the Old Testament. He knows everything about the Bible. He knows what you should do, what you shouldn't do, right from wrong, sin, what's not sin, all of those things. He knows all of those things being a lawyer, and he stood up to put Jesus to the test. Now, we can judge this guy if we want to, but we put Jesus to the test all the time. I'm just going to keep on reading. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we have absolutely no way of knowing the intention of this guy's heart. We can kind of assume that since he put Jesus to the test, he's probably trying to catch him in, in saying something that, that isn't true or, or, or maybe uh, making a mistake in the way that he speaks or the way that he answers this question. But essentially, I, I, I have a hard time believing that this man, knowing everything that he knew about the law and about God, would ask this question without some form of sincerity. Because every single one of us in this room hopefully have asked this question before. What do I need to do to live eternally with God? What do I have to do when this life is over and the next life to spend that eternity with God? It's a very serious, honest question. And so Jesus goes on to answer it the way that only Jesus can. He does some Jesus things here. He said to him, verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? That's such a Jesus thing to do, man. Anytime you ask Jesus questions, he starts asking you questions back. And he answered, this is the lawyer speaking, now. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He knew the answer. It was not something that he had to think about. He knows the law. Verse 28, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So Jesus is basically saying, hey, you asked me this question. I'll pose it back on you. What do you think the answer is? And he says, well, basically, I, you love the Lord God with everything that you've got, your whole mind, integrity, body, everything. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor just like you love yourself. And Jesus says, ding, 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 right answer, good deal. And I think maybe at this moment, Jesus is even maybe prepared to move on and do something else or, or heal somebody or talk to someone else or preach another sermon. But that's not where this conversation ends because what Jesus is saying in this is so much deeper than just, hey, do all that and then you'll have life. The life that Jesus is talking about is this eternal life. The question the man asked is, how do I inherit? How do I earn eternal life? And in Jesus's answer, Jesus says, very simple. You know the answer. Be perfect. 
right? Love God with everything you are all the time, 100%, and don't ever mess that up. And then on top of that, love all people everywhere all the time, 100%, and be perfect. And then you can earn yourself a spot in heaven. Jesus is basically saying, it's impossible. You can't do this. You can't do it on your own. Jesus is basically telling this guy, you can't be good enough to get to heaven, but the one that's telling you about this right now, I can. I can provide the sacrifice that you can believe in to get to heaven. This guy completely misses it, and all he sees is the gravity of this situation. And if I don't do everything right all the time, then I can't make it to heaven. And he starts calculating things, and his lawyer mind starts working in overdrive, and he starts figuring out a way that he can make this possible. Because what he starts to think is, well, I can probably love God. God's invisible and God's all good and God's, uh, you know, God, God loves everybody. And so God loving an invisible God who loves me, not easy, but I think I can do that. Now loving people, people get on my nerves, right? Like people are real and they have flesh and bone and they aggravate me and they say mean things. And so wait, loving people is going to be tough. So here's the follow-up from this lawyer who's thinking very logically about what Jesus just said, but he desiring to justify himself. One version says, he trying to find a loophole said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Basically he's saying, listen, Jesus, I get what you're saying. However, just hold on, just one second. Let me lawyer this thing for just a moment, right? There's gotta be something that you can do, right? Like, I mean, you're the guy, right? You're the guy that can like make exceptions. So do I really have to love like everybody, like everybody's my neighbor and like, or, or is there like certain people that like, you know, kind of, I don't have to be as nice to, or I don't have to serve that group of people because, well, you know, it's impossible to do what you're asking me to do, Jesus. Imagine this lawyer trying to find a loophole. Well, I got news for you. We try and find loopholes all the time everywhere in life. Like um, when I was in high school, I found a great one. Um, anybody like math? You like math. Like that was your favorite subject in school. Raise your hand high. Be proud. Go ahead. Real high. All right. Here's what I want you to do. Keep your hand up just for a second. No, no. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Be proud of that. There's not many people that do. If you're sitting beside somebody with their hand up, look over to them real quickly, real quickly. And don't be mean. There's been enough people being mean all over social media and everything all week. Don't be mean to them, but just look at them and say, what is wrong with you? Seriously. <laughs> like what is wrong with you? There's something wrong. Like, that's not, that's not normal, right? Like, I hate math. Actually, I didn't hate math always. I hated math when they started putting letters in math. That's English, and I hate English too, so I'm out. And some of you are not going to amen me on anything else except you hate math and English. That's great. That's the last time I'll be able to be up here. Man, I hated it. And so I figured out after my junior year going into my senior year, I knew I was going to Bible college, and so I knew I didn't need to be the smartest guy, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but <laughs> um, I, knew, I knew I needed an extra, <laughs> I found out I needed an extra, um, an extra math credit to graduate. And so I'm like, oh man, because I already did like algebra one, algebra two, uh, geometry. I know that like middle schoolers are doing that now. It was hard for me, so back off, all right? So, so I already did those. So I'm looking at what the next courses are, and it's like trigonometry and calculus. I don't want that. They definitely don't want me in that. I know that for sure. And so I find this class that's kind of buried under a bunch of other classes, and it's called consumer math, and it was my savior that year. Consumer math taught me how to balance a checkbook. They didn't tell me 20 years later there'd be no such thing as a checkbook. <laughs> But they taught me to balance my checkbook, and they taught me how I can, um, you know, when I'm at a restaurant, how to figure out a tip at a restaurant. Like, those are the kind of things that I learned. It was the easiest, best math class I've ever had in my entire life. I found that loophole, and I took full advantage of it, right? 
But what I did and what we do in finding loopholes is we find easier ways to get to that same place that we want to get, right? We want to find shortcuts. We want to find those exceptions in the rule. And this is what this lawyer is trying to do. And it's what we do all the time when it comes to loving and serving other people. It's like, maybe not out loud and we won't ever admit this and we won't ever say this, but with our lifestyle, we're like, God, I'll, I'll serve anybody, anybody. I'll love and I will serve anybody except somebody that does not agree with my theology. I will love and I will serve anybody except for, pull your toes in, somebody that voted for Hillary. I will love and I will serve anybody except for that person that voted for Donald. I will love and I will serve anybody except that person that didn't even show up to vote. I will love and I will serve anybody except that one person that doesn't really click with my group and when they come around it just kind of gets awkward. Like I will love and serve anybody except that. Who is it that, that I can, God, who is it that I can leave out of serving? Who is it I can leave out of loving and still get into heaven? That's basically what this lawyer is asking and it's what we ask with our actions all the time. And it's the wrong question to ask because the answer is always the same. There is no exception. So if we're asking today, who can we not love? Who can we not serve? If you're going to ask Jesus, Jesus is going to tell you that there's no one, that there's no exemption from that. Everyone, regardless of if you agree with them about everything and you're just alike, or if they are on the complete other side of the fence and the things that you believe and the things that you hold dear and the way that they act and the way that they treat people, there is no exception. Jesus is saying, no, 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 there's no who's my neighbor. And then he goes into the story to explain. I want to read the first part of this story. We know the last part. The last part is the Samaritan that everybody hated at the time was the guy that kind of came in and did the good thing that these other guys should have done. But as he's telling this story, no doubt, Jesus is creating some tension in this room full of Jewish people. Because he starts in on this story in verse 30, and he says, Jesus replied. This is following the question, who's my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man, we can assume that man was Jewish because of the audience that Jesus is speaking to and the story that he tells, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, this, this, the way that he's telling this story, Jesus is not uh, using his words flippantly. He's very careful on how he's describing this thing. So he's saying a Jewish guy, so everybody identifies. And, and he says he's walking down this really rough stretch, and he gets beaten, gets robbed. This was not uncommon for this to happen on this road during this time. And so he's, he's telling this story about how this guy gets beat down. In verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down that road. So now this audience that is full of Jewish men, as they're hearing about this Jewish guy that's laying in a ditch and realizing, okay, Jesus is trying to tell me that I'm the guy in the ditch. And then he says, by chance, this priest, a Jewish pastor essentially is what this is. And so somebody that is a man of God, supposed to help people, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him passed on the other side, hold up, wait a second, that was our first chance for being a hero. And so the Jewish pastor just stepped across the other side of the road and kept on going. And so now, wait a second, that means the guy's still in the ditch. And so what happens next is, <clears throat> so likewise, a Levite, who was another Jewish person. In fact, the lawyer that was asking this question to start with was probably a Levite himself. So it's getting really personal. When he came to that place and saw him pass by on the other side. And so now you've got this whole entire audience of Jewish men that are listening to this story, and he's told them, listen, 
This guy is beaten, he's got needs, he needs somebody to help him, he's in dire straits, and two people have now seen what's been happening and walked across to the other side of the road. The two people that everybody in that house, everybody in that room, everybody in that place that he's telling this story would have thought, okay, one of these guys is gonna help out. It's gotta be this guy. Well, maybe not the priest, all right. Well, maybe the other guy. Nope, not the other guy walks on. Then we know that if we keep reading the story, the guy that everybody hates is the guy that ends up helping out. What we see here is that these two men leave one of their own behind. They know his needs and they know that it's up to them to serve this man and instead they leave one of literally their own tribe. Like that, that's basically like this. It's basically like if you come to DCC every day and you walk out of here and you see somebody else that was in this service laying on the side of the road and you figure out a way to go around them. It's the same thing. They are the same religion. They are of the same belief system. They are of the same even nationality. They are the same. Because when God says to love your neighbor, it means love those inside the body of Christ and love those outside the body of Christ. And so today, let's talk about inside the body for just a second. Let's talk about the people that we're sitting next to. Let's talk about the people that are attending that church across town. Let's talk about that for a second. Because if we're supposed to love everybody outside the body of Christ, then we are for sure supposed to love everybody on the inside of the body of Christ. And these two guys, they just walk right by. They just walk right by. Why? What is the point? Why wouldn't they stop to help? If you think about it, it's probably a little inconvenient for them. They're probably a little scared, thinking this is a setup and somebody's going to come around the corner and they're going to beat me down. Maybe they were thinking, I don't have time to do this, the Jewish priest especially, because the Jewish priest, if he would even touch a dead body, he would be out of commission for seven days. It was part of their law. It was part of the rules. He didn't know if the guy was alive or dead. And so he was basically saying, I can't, I can't touch this guy. I can't help this guy on the chance that he's already dead. If I touch him to find out if he's alive or if he's dead, then I, I can't do my job for a week. For seven days, I can't do my job. There are people that depend on me, people that depend on me for spiritual support and people that depend on me to preach to them and read them God's word. I can't be down in the dirt doing this work right now because God's got these other things for me. It's amazing to me how we justify not getting down with somebody that has needs because we got to keep our testimony intact, right? Or maybe it's just that our testimony is when we get down in the dirt with people that need us. Or maybe for them, it's not just dangerous, it's not just convenient, but maybe they just do, did what most of us do. And we see somebody with a real need and we just kind of walk past them because we have this mentality of somebody else. Somebody else is going to help them. Somebody else is going to stop by. Somebody that's in their small group is going to help them out. Somebody that they serve with at the church. Somebody that loves them, really knows them. Pastor Rocky will help them. You know, that's, that's, that, that's, what, that's what he does. You know, that's what, that's, what this, that's what the church staff gets paid for is to serve the people in the church, right? So we have all these excuses that we work on, but the basis of all of it when we really boil it down is this. There's two men, that priest and that Levite, when they saw one of their own hurting, needing, needing to be served, they were selfish about it. And they crossed by because the only thing that they saw were their own needs. The only thing they saw was what was really important to them at that time. How many times have we walked by, even in this very room on a Sunday morning, somebody who has real needs, somebody who's broken, somebody who's hurting, and we're so focused on our own needs and our own desires and our own wants that we walk right by them. I think it's time this morning that we change what our focus is on. I think that it's time for us to change what we're looking at so intently. Because if we only focus on our needs, we're gonna walk right by every single time those needs that the people beside us have. 
You know, I, I know I'm getting older. That's not funny. That's not a, that wasn't the joke. <laughs> I know it. I feel it, right? And, and I, I feel it coming on. I, I, I felt a little bit younger this week, no lie, because I was reading something about millennials. I'll let you figure out what that was. And they said that the millennial generation is from uh, born in 1980 to the year 2000. And I was like, I'm a millennial by like three months. I am young. And then I finished my Metamucil and took my Centrum Silver and walked off and finished my day. <laughs> but as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that, that things are just starting, you know, to have your body just does different things and breaks down and takes longer to recover from things. And I look, I look at some of the people that went to, some of our youth leaders that took our students to Phyla Games over the weekend. And that's just like, I mean, that's just a blur of a weekend. And you see bags around their eyes. And I'm like, man, I, I, don't, I don't remember how I did it. I'm sure a lot of caffeine. But I mean, like, now at this point in my body's life, I'm not sure I'd make it anymore, you know. But... As I'm getting older, I'm realizing things are starting to change, and I, I think some of it is maybe God's judgment on me because I made fun of some of you for some of those things changing when you were getting older, right? But specifically, my, my eyes. My eyes have, have been changing over the last few years, I've noticed. I wear contacts. I've worn contacts or glasses since I was like fourth grade. So I always had issues with my eyes. But about two years ago, I noticed that when I would look at my phone, I would have to bring my phone out further each time, right? Like to where it was like about here. And I know exactly why it was. It's because I judged my mother-in-law for it for years. Like for years, she has her, her phone on like the largest text setting you can. It's like one letter per screen. Like <laughs> you want to read an email, you're just doing like this, like for, you know, I'm like, I hope that there's nothing important on that because everybody across the restaurant can read what's on your phone right now. Like, I would make fun of her all the time. Like, oh, you want me to hold it out here for you? Ha, ha, ha. And then God's like, really? Ha, ha, ha. Now you got to do it. So that's all the prayer works, doesn't it? Prayer works. And so I'm holding my phone out farther and farther. I'm like, I got to go to the optometrist, man. I can't do this anymore. And so I'm fully walking in expecting, all right, he's going to give me, you know, bifocals or whatever they call those things. And I'm, I'm going to own it. I don't care. You know, I'm, I just want to see again. I just want to be able to see what that emoji is that somebody sent me, you know, so I don't have to, I don't have to wonder, you know. And so I go in and he tells me, he explains to me, he's like, you guys are not getting worse. He said, they're actually getting better. And I'm like, oh, it's a miracle. He's like, not that much better. Like little, little, little bits at a time. He said, it's not uncommon as you get older for things to change and for your eyes to kind of almost, almost start to correct themselves a little bit at a time. When it does, it throws your, your prescription out of, out of whack. And so um, your lenses that are in now, you can't see close because they're focusing more on what's farther away. And so this whole thing, so we got it all adjusted. We got it all worked out. Now I got to go every couple of years and get them, uh, you know, re, reworked and get a new prescription and the whole thing. But here's what I've figured out because I've got it, I've got it pretty much tuned in. The, the optometrist and I, we've worked together on this thing. He tells me what to do and I buy the right thing. And, and uh, when I focus on things that are really, really close for a long time, intently, it, I have a hard time when I look up like adjusting and focusing on, on other things. So like yesterday I was working on our back porch on my laptop facing, facing out, you know, and so I'm working on my laptop for a long time intently just focused on a screen that's only a couple feet in front of me. And, I, and at one point I looked up and there's a tree line about 75 feet away from our, our back porch. And so I looked up and it was just a blur. I mean, just a blur of green. I couldn't see the individual trees or leaves or anything like that. So you know what I had to do is I, I, I had to literally close my eyes and then I had to open my eyes again and I had to refocus, not paying attention to my computer screen that was right in front of me, focus on what's over that screen and, and all of those things. And, and eventually those things started to come back into focus for me. I could figure it out. I could see clearly what was up there. 
And, and I started thinking, man, is that maybe what we need to do as the body of Christ? Maybe we should get our focus off of what's right here in front of us. Maybe we should get our focus off of what we think we need. Maybe we should get our focus off of all the things that we want God to do for us. Maybe we should get our focus off of all the problems and all the issues that we have in our own lives. And maybe we should just refocus, look up over our issues, and be intent and be focused on finding the issues and the needs of other people. Because I guarantee you, if the priest, if the Levite would have done that, they would have been the heroes. But instead, a Samaritan was the one that was focused on the needs of others. How do we do that? How do, how do we focus? How do we refocus our lives? Well, we refocus by focusing on Christ. I promise you, if you will focus on Christ, you will see the needs of others because that's where Christ lives. And so it's up to us as the body of Christ to serve those inside of this body by focusing on others. Jesus says in John chapter 13 and verse 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Basically, we can say this verse this way. By this, everybody is gonna know that you're my disciple, that you're part of the body of Christ if you serve each other. If you serve the person that's in the row behind you, if you serve that person that goes to second service, if you serve that person that goes to the other church, if you serve each other, people are going to look at this organization that we call the church, and they may not like what we teach, and they not, but may believe some of the things that we believe, but they can't deny that we're doing something that nobody else is doing because we're serving each other. And the way that we stay in focus, the way that we stay in focus is by reading God's word. The way we stay in focus is by worshiping. The way we stay in focus is by coming to church. You thought that was just to feel good about yourself? Oh, no, 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 no. Those things are all tools that we use to stay focused in on Christ so that we can then see the needs of others. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.